0: My name is Pearl Willis. I am one of 13 children. When I was in my teen years, 13, 14, I struggled a lot with who I was, why I was created. Not not because at all that I was treated any different from my 12 other siblings. I just, uh, I struggled. I felt like that um, someone had brought me here and left me. I was waiting on them to come back and get me. I didn't know who that someone was. I just knew that I didn't belong here. And that struggle led me to trying to kill myself.
1: We are all on a journey. We are all at different points on our journey. And that's okay. I'm Steph Reynolds, Director of Partner Care for Shine.fm. The purpose of our journey is simple, but sometimes difficult. Keep moving forward, becoming more like Jesus. The feeling of isolation can consume you, of not belonging, constantly wondering, where do I fit in? This is Shine 180, stories of lives transformed by God because of your faithfulness. Here is Miss Pearl's story. I went searching
0: out in the world. I was brought up in a crystal home. My, my father and my mother both loved the Lord. And, and so we came up, you know, going to church and learning about Jesus and all that. And so it was in my search that I met a young lady that grew to be my friend. It was through that young lady I was exposed to everything that my parents was trying to keep me away from. A friend of mine took me to the west side to a house, and uh, she told me that she was going somewhere, and she would be right back to pick me up. She went out. And in this house it was one guy that was there when she left. He mixed me a drink and I wasn't used to drinking. I drank to drink and I found myself fighting seven, eight guys. I was I was talking but I couldn't hear myself talking and uh I was fighting but my fist wasn't uh didn't seem to uh affect it didn't seem to affect them. So this went on almost all night. My rescuer was a man that lived upstairs from the house I was in. I thought that that was my rescuer. He took me upstairs and raped me too. And so um, I, I could, my brothers would have tore up that block. They came to do just that. I had no idea um, that it had done something to my mind. I didn't know that, so I I spent a lot of years trying to get past that, and then trying to get past that. I uh, was sixteen and had my first child, and seventeen and got rid of that child, and eighteen and had my my third child, and all alone. Uh, I was drinking and getting high, trying to suppress. What had happened that day, it got worse and worse. I uh, found myself doing exactly what I used to look at other people and laugh at women on the street prostituting and selling themselves. And I became one of them trying to support my habit. As time went on and my kids began to grow up, it was just normal for them to be in a house with a lot of people and people drinking and getting high and gambling, playing cars, and that became a normal for them. And I ended up moving on the west side of Chicago, and so it was a struggle walking up and down that street, knowing what had happened there. It seemed to hunt me, and I didn't know that the way to get away from that, how to get away from that. My kids uh, went over to my dad's house one day. We, we were over to my dad and my mom's house. And uh, my children asked my father to come and pick them up for church. And I was unaware of that. And my father came, he sent the church bus, which came all the way from the south side of Chicago to the west side. I heard the horn blowing early in the morning on a Sunday. And they I could hear them scrapping about in the house and and I got up to see what was going on and and there they were putting on their clothes getting ready to go to church and I asked them you know what are you doing and they said their granddaddy sent the church bus to get us for church and I told them I said get your clothes and get out of here if you're going and that Sunday morning they left and they went to church and they came back and they began to tell me mama Jesus could fix you. I kind of struggled with that because I didn't know I was broken. I really didn't understand what they were talking about, but I knew that I, I was tired of getting drunk. I was tired of getting high, and I didn't know how to stop. I knew that every time I tried to stop, I would get real sick, and I had to take a drink. I had to keep going, and that was the only way I could keep going, you know. They continued to go to church. I let them go on Sunday, and they would come home and pick me up off the floor and wipe my mouth and tell me, Mom, Jesus can fix you. <gasps> so one Sunday I got up, and uh, I got on that bus. That bus, uh took me to the south side of Chicago with my kids. And and I was sitting in the sanctuary and and I couldn't get comfortable up there. And and all I knew to do was go downstairs on the lower level and wait on this bus to take me back home. And my stomach was in knots because I hadn't had a drink. I hadn't had anything that morning. I ended up in a homeless ministry class. For some reason, I sat down in there, and I felt like I was at home until Milton Massey was the man that was teaching it. He was teaching those men, and he began to say that there was forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ, and I said, how dare him lie like that? I didn't think that there was any way that Jesus would forgive me of my sins, you know, what I did to my children and my parents and my family and so many other people to get my needs met. I said, you're a liar. And he wanted to try and talk to me, and I told him what a thing a man could ever say to me. And so he went and got this woman. This woman ended up being his wife, and she began to tell me that there was nothing, no sin that I could commit that Jesus wouldn't forgive me from. By that time the bus was ready to go, I was rushing to get on that bus
1: because I had to get home because my stomach was in nuts. Running from her past, not believing that God is big enough to handle her sin, Miss Pearl must face the reality of a savior who won't give up on her.
0: I got back to the west side and I clammed those stairs and I went running for the refrigerator and when I got there, I got on my knees and I began to ask this God if what he said was true, if he would help me, if he would just take the pain away. I'm sorry. He didn't take the pain away. But for the first time in almost 18 years, I felt clean. I was scrubbing myself literally. Sometimes, two to three times a day, I was shower. I was trying to get the dirt off. Nobody told me it was an inside cleansing that I need, you know. I thought it was outside. <laughs> I knew something had changed. I felt new again. And I vowed to follow him. I got up, and that was the last drink I had taken. I was living with my youngest daughter's father at the time. And I, I told him, I said, we we had been living together almost 18 years. And I said, that God had changed me, saved me. And if he saved me, he could do anything. We either had to get married or I couldn't stay with him anymore. I'll never forget his answer to me. He told me when he met me, I was a whore and I would always be a whore. I got my children and my mother came and got me. It was amazing to me because those things that I couldn't let go on my own, God just took responsibility for them and he did them for me. Because I didn't know where we were gonna stay but the Lord let the whole building be condemned, and it was in that that brought my mother and my brothers in a truck, and they came, and they moved me from over on the west side of Chicago, and it was the greatest thing for me because all that I was laying on my back for and I had to pay for on my back was now free that I was trying to get away from it. And people were telling me that I wasn't an alcoholic. I wasn't this. Come on, just come on one hit. But God freed me up. I didn't see that at that time, you know? When my mother and them came, I just started hollering in the streets because I knew that I was changed. But I didn't know why we got put out the building like that. But it was God's way of moving me. From that side of town to open another chapter and close that but sometimes you don't know it at the time you know the apartment next to the church opened up and it was Christ Temple Church on the south side they had a, an apartment building my mom said if you get that apartment next door to the church they'll hold you accountable and you can be around people that will hold you accountable and people that would look out for you. And and I did. I got the apartment. My dad had taken ill, and, and here he was, the man that was coming and seeing about me and picking me up off the street when I was drunk. And I would wake up in my bed at home. He took ill, And I had a chance to spend, spend six months with him before he died. And, and I was able to go to the hospital and tell him, Dad, I'm clean. I'm sober. And I I would read to him. And when it was words I didn't understand, I would say big word and he would, he would always put it in place. It was just such a gift from God to me, to be able to spend that time with him, to see that I was clean, you know. In a church portion in that apartment was when the Lord began to turn my life around. I went to Back to school to get my high school diploma. I was 32 years old. <laughs> Took the test five times before I passed it. <laughs> I think all those brain cells had went to sleep or something. I spent a lot of time asking the Lord, what did he want me to do? Because I feared going back, you know. <laughs> There's always a fear of going back. So you want to make sure that you're standing perfect tune with the Lord, I know he delivered me. I knew he was the only one to keep me. I got my high school diploma and I went on to school for nuclear medicine. And in the midst of going for that, my daughter came home one day and asked me would I uh, help a friend of hers. The young lady was 14 in high school. They had just got into their freshman year. She said she's having a baby and she doesn't have anyone to keep her child. And it was that young lady that I decided to help because my daughter asked me to help. That young lady told another young lady, told another young lady. And all of a sudden, I started seeing babies. And then the high school asked me to come up there and meet the counselors. And they told me they had over 100 pregnant teens. I saw that God was using me to help these young ladies. And at the same time, my son and my daughter... We're going to the Agape Center, and in them going there, Bill Massey's wife, Cynthia, was discipling me. They were having a, a outreach for the community. They asked me what I'd share at that outreach, my testimony. Little did I know my children were, were sharing bits and pieces while they were at the center. My kids would bring kids home, and they would be, Mom, we want you to talk to their mom. And I would be like, you know, about what? This is a new life for us. Nobody has to know where we came from. Nobody has to know what we did. This is a new life. But it was that day that my son came to me, and he said, Mom, I heard that they asked you to share at the outreach that they were having, and I heard you turned them down. Torrance, I said, this is a new life. Don't you, don't you see? God has given us a new life. And He said, it's so many of my friends that are going through some of the same stuff we went through as children. And you don't want to show them that there's a way out, Mom? Would you share? That's not right. That night I shared, I think it was 27 women gave their lives to Jesus. And we ended up with a Bible study. And then it was in that Bible study that I found out a lot of them couldn't read. In the midst of going to school, trying to get my degree in nuclear medicine, I jumped up from the table at that Bible study. And I said, if you just go back to school, I'll keep your children that I knew that had to come from the Lord, because I didn't love children like that. That was not my passion. I always struggled that my mom and dad had so many. I hated children. But here, the Lord was giving me a love for the very thing that I hated. So these women began to enroll in school, and then these high school moms began to come. and, And because I had dropped out at such an early age, I was able to identify with them and And I knew that if they began to miss days out of school, then it would be so much easier to keep missing and keep missing. And so I began to tell the counselors, just send them to me. We could do paperwork later. We don't want them to miss a day out of school. In the process of that, the house, the little apartment became full because as women were giving their lives to Jesus, I felt like they needed to come out of their situations into a clean situation They needed to come out of the drugs. You know, how can you work with someone and ask God to deliver them, and then God delivers them, and then you send them right back into the mess that God delivered them from? And so the pastor said, there's no more room in that house, in that apartment. You can't put anybody else in there. So I told the children to pray for more room. The children. Because one thing I learned about the children was that the children don't put limits on what god can do they don't box him in and it was because of my children they began to attract more children and we made a pact with each other and one of the packs we made was that my children now that god had brought us out of that life they were not to spend the night no more at anyone's house But our house, and they could bring all the friends they wanted to our house because we knew now what was going on in our house. And my children began to bring their friends. Fifteen children turned into twenty-five children. I began to move the dining room table. I was day caring and teaching children the good news of Jesus Christ. The church next door sent a lady over. Her name was Sister Little. Sister Little went back and told Pastor Lindsay, and they opened the church doors, and we ended up with a good news club with over 100 children. So anytime I needed a prayer answer, I would tell it to the children, and the children would pray. I would teach them how to pray. And God began to turn in my heart and stir in my spirit, and I saw the importance of teaching the children about Jesus. I saw the importance of teaching them how to pray, because if they know how to pray, they'll go home and pray for their families. I understood that if I put it in them, they had to go home and squeeze it out like a sponge upon their homes, their moms and their dads. So I began to put it into them, and they would soak it up. And one day, The question came from a little girl named Alicia. See, they would get all around me, and everybody would have their hands up for something. And the Holy Spirit began to tell me this one and that one. and So I would call on this one and that one, and I would say, what is it that you need? And this little girl, Alicia, told me one day, she said, my dad keeps beating my mom. Can Jesus fix that? And I said, the next time he does that, stop calling Jesus And she got her little sister. And weeks later, she came running back to Good News Club. And she said her dad raised his hand to hit her mom. And they just started shouting, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And they dad ran out of the door. And he hadn't come back. And that was all, all the other kids needed to hear. And they began to pray. And so I said, we need more room. There's no more room in Miss Pearl's apartment. We need more room. And these children began to pray with me. And we were passing every day, 113th Street, the worstest block in Roseland. There were five drugs houses on that one block. And we would pass there every day, going to Finger High School to take Torrance and Kim, my two oldest children. My brother was a rehabber, and he would always say, They need to take that house down. That house is in bad shape. And we kind of laughed about it. I said, that old piece of junk. And one day on our way passing by, the Lord says, stop the car. And my brother was driving. I said, stop the car. He said, for what? I said, I don't know. Just stop the car. And he stopped the car. And I jumped out and I started walking around the building. I said, Lord, this old raggedy building is what you're going to give us? And he said, go on the inside. And I went on the inside, and whoever owned the building at one time had built nice, strong stairs and had painted it and put a new roof on it. And somehow in the midst of that, they lost that house. And all I could think of as I stood in that building was myself. How they're so often we're all dressed up on the outside but gutted out on the inside. And I told the Lord, I said, if you could save me, you could do anything. And I ran, I got the pastor, I got Cynthia. Cynthia was pregnant. I had her crawling through windows with me. <laughs> and we prayed on that dining room floor of upstairs, asking God, if this was the building, would He grant the money to purchase the building? I had 500 dollars left of savings. I took that 500 dollars, and I bid it on that piece of property. and I bid it 12,500 dollars. And I had people calling me saying they would give me my $500 earnest money back and asking me, where are you going to get the other 12500 And I told them, if God could save me, he can do anything. And three days before we would have lost the earnest money and all, I got a call from a man from the Mustard Seed Foundation. He had saw the story of me teaching the children on TV 38 and he wanted to give me seed money towards whatever ministry I was gonna do and it was there I was hollering and screaming and running backwards and forwards through the house I got back to the phone and I said sir it'll never make it here on time I'm on a three-day window now and the voice said we'll make it there we have to walk it there and that prompt four additional people and that's how we purchased the first daycare center, Roseland Community Good News Daycare. And the good news came from teaching the good news of Jesus Christ to the children all them years ago. High school moms and college and low-income working moms is what we specialize in. They have to come to Bible study because communities like ours have lost hope. They're not going to find it in their education. They need to know about the love of Jesus Christ and how much he loves them and not how much a man loves them. We're not trying to get them just educated, but we're trying to get them to heaven to know and understand what it means to live a victorious life down here on this place called Earth. We have 48 now. That includes our after-school kids. It's funny that we have 48 we've had. 25 years, 48 high school graduates, 30 college graduates, and 26 special eds. I always laugh at the girls because we got so many moms in the medical field, principal of Don Elementary School, associates uh, of Trust Bank, moms in physical, respiratory, RN nurses, CNAs. And uh, I always tell them if I get sick, I know (laughs) what I'm coming to.
1: It's been a long haul, 25 years. God continues to use the broken, the outcast, the most unlikely of people to build his kingdom here on earth.
0: We start out there with Christian music, with praise and worship, with the children, you know, and teaching them to honor Jesus in the morning with their first fruit and the, and the importance of praising God in the midst of any situation, you know, no matter what's going on in their lives. That, that would strengthen and encourage them to push on. Even their moms, when the moms come in, teaching the children the praise and worship songs. We have a little girl named Daylin, and her mom came one day, and she said, my child keeps singing, I'll do my best, I'll do my best, I'll do my best for you. Who is she trying to do her best for? And I said, I'm going to give you a copy of her praise and worship songs. And now her mom knows the songs, and she listens to the songs. We love praise and worship and being able to teach the children importance of singing to the Lord. And they sings to the Lord.
1: They sings to the Lord. With little hands lifted high in praise, the Good News Daycare in the Rose Lawn community of Chicago is transforming lives of single moms and their children. This was Shine 180, Miss Pearl's story. I'm Steph Reynolds, Director of Partner Care for Shine.fm. Your story matters. Your story offers hope and encouragement to others. Share your story today by calling 855-987-9866. That's 855-987-9866. Shine 180, stories of lives transformed by God because of your faithfulness.